Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Matthew Penny has me up at 7 o'clock in the morning. I was up at like 6 o'clock in the morning, like prepping to podcast with you, Penny. I mean, this uh, this this new schedule you've got me on, It's I don't, I don't know how well this is going to work out, buddy. Oh, well, I was going to say I think it works out great that it's 4.30 my time, but unfortunately it's a, a little <laughs> early on your time. You the, being in Australia is not convenient for uh, many people on this coast. We'll leave it at that. The first, uh, <laughs> the first thing I did this morning was get out of bed and go immediately to the coffee machine, and I pulled out the thing where all of my coffee pods are and dropped literally 100 coffee pods on the ground. So mm, that's, well, that's how things are going for me this morning. <laughs> A little ominous start for how this podcast could develop here is the coffee spills and we won't spill too many beans, but uh, hopefully we have some uh, decent stuff here. But yeah, a little bit of change of pace. Earlier recording time is great for me because I can maybe eat dinner on time and, and watch an NBA game, not on mute, which would be a, a, a nice addition to on Thursday. Yeah, it's almost like you have a small child and want to hang out with your wife and the small child. Like, well, I'm, I'm whoa, also recording no in a different place. Like I'm recording in our our old office so i don't have to like hear the the off camera off microphone scream just be like oh please not another one not another one go upstairs through <laughs> the gate click and like okay i have an hour and a half oh my god you always tell me that like you know your kid will come in and like make noise or you know you hear something going on downstairs and it never comes through the microphone whatever microphone you've bought is the most effective thing on planet earth given the <laughs> given the little destructive terror that you've told me your uh two-year-old is yeah this this is not an ad for yeti but i i guess it works good enough it's just my paranoia that everything will be on uh on recording i was upstairs on uh, doing some like work calls last night i came down and he was still like dancing at at eight thirty at night. I said, "What happened?" I said, "Oh well, you know, we got into the Halloween candy a little bit. I think he's got the zoomies." I'm like, great. Can we do the the Bettys? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Can Celtics we play do the magic. The Bettys. The yeah. Celtics well, play well, the magic. Well, I've got to hey, lock in. I, yeah, I've got him into a little bit. He's like, "What's that guy's name? What's that guy's name?" Like, that's Cole. It's like, oh okay. But then he knew a YouTube video had a guy named Cole. He's like, "Watch the Cole show." I'm like, I did this to myself. <laughs> Oh my god, this is this is a terrific start to the podcast. Okay, so today <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about some news and notes at the top because today was like a weirdly filled news day in the NBA and the main topic of this podcast is going to be talking about the sophomore class in the NBA. So LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, uh, all of the Detroit guys, Tyrese Halliburton, Desmond Bain, and obviously our Lord and Savior, Alexei Pokashevsky at some point. We just wanted to kind of dive deep into that class because I think it looks kind of interesting in a number of ways so far. Let's start, though, first with a few of the news and notes things that have broken over the course of the last, let's say, 24 to even like last week, realistically, 24 hours through the last week. The Robert Sarver story that has been promised uh, just got dropped, by the way. Jordan Schultz <laughs> spoiled like Jordan Schultz like works with ESPN. I don't know if he works for ESPN, but he certainly works with ESPN on a couple of things. And he like broke the news of a story that was coming on Robert Sarver that was coming from his own publication. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. <laughs> what what a move. Like what a what a choice on that this, guy's part. 
this is your movie. You're spoiling your own movie. I, I remember <laughs> seeing that tweet now that you said it, and some people were quote tweeting it, and uh, I stay out of the big J journalism stuff, but they're like, you're you're hindering the actual reporting of a story. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? It didn't come out the next day, but we uh, we did get a bombshell this morning here. Yeah, so Robert Sarver, uh, in a terrifically reported story by Baxter Holmes, there are just so many different anecdotes uh, regarding the culture of racism and misogyny that has apparently hindered the Phoenix Suns organization over the course of Robert Sarver's ownership tenure. I mean, what was your original thought when you saw this? Because, A, obviously, we'd been told that it was coming. And, and, you know, I'll just kind of tell you, like, this has been rumored within journalism circles for a little while now that this is something like this has been coming. Um, But uh, what was your original thought? Let's just start there when you see reporting like this. Worse than expected, because I I do feel like in the last few years has been hints and teasers and not on this story specifically, but like, oh, bombshell's going to drop. And the story comes out and it's like, oh, it's bad, but not like this was this was all of it. It was was all the way bad. And as soon as you thought it was over, there's like a scroll down or it's worse. It's like, oh, that stinks. Then you keep going. It's like, oh, that's bad. Then you keep going down. It's like, oh, that's really bad. So there was no point in the story where it turned into even a positive life it was pretty uh pretty appalling from word one to word ten thousand or however long it was yeah i agree the stuff that really struck me as being uh like horrible i mean look all of the racism stuff is obviously horrible because god like please don't be racist like if you're in a period don't be racist uh don't be racist if you're in a position of power and don't hold those tendencies over people uh whenever you're in a position of power and threaten their job like he reportedly did with earl watson if earl watson didn't fire one of the most prominent uh you know black-led agencies within the industry and clutch uh, as was reported within baxter's story uh, the stuff about women was really troubling to me i thought uh, it was just a it seemed like a real pervasive culture of misogyny in a very problematic way that uh, if you're a woman working in sports would just feel incredibly disheartening uh, unfortunately not new i would imagine uh, for any woman that has worked in sports every woman that i know who works within sports journalism has horror stories unfortunately but this one coming on the other side of the spectrum i think was really uh really disheartening to see uh coming from the team side and uh, if you're a person that uh if you're a woman who works for an nba team and you feel like you have very little value and that your possessions uh and that women are nowhere near close to where he thinks men are as uh one female former staffer said uh about robert sarver uh it just has to feel like kind of crushing i would think in the environment it seems that was created where people are afraid to speak up and step up and say anything and kind of like off kilter stuff of ah don't don't report me to hr so people are afraid to to say what had actually happened so as bad as this was if there are any positives hopefully it does kind of shine light on it's okay to speak up and you are protected somehow some way but the the way the franchise has operated for 
a number of years, too. I mean, the story, I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it was like 10 years of stuff, right? Like 10, 12 years. It wasn't like last season. It was like, well, this was three years ago. This was five years ago. So this has kind of permeated through their doors for a long time. And despite the lack of success at times during those 10 years uh, in terms of wins and losses on the court, maybe this kind of gives us a, a little bit more of an insight of why Earl Watts was gone and Igor Kokoshkov was gone and, and how things kind of operated behind closed doors and now just being exposed into light for for everyone else to see yeah it's really startling and kind of disgusting uh he is denied everything that's in the story in a statement uh from jason rowley the president and ceo on behalf of sons legacy partners llc which i believe is the holding company of the phoenix suns uh they vehemently reject the claims made in today's espn articles our two organizations have always worked hard to create an environment that is respectful and diverse where racism sexism sexism and damaging behavior of any kind are are not condoned i mean look like just me personally it's hard for me to buy that all of the anecdotes that baxter collected in a story like that are bullshit <laughs> right. like there's, there there's are too, just too many of them it was a laundry list and that's the the thing of you just kept kept going and kept scrolling and there was just story after story it wasn't one and this by no means justifies it but it's not like there was one offhand comment like there were dozens and dozens of them yeah we're talking about so so many different stories here different anecdotes um yeah this was this is a disaster i mean look i don't know how much i want to speculate on like will he get to keep the team or not i I just don't know like it will see it woge is reporting that he expects the nba to start an investigation into the phoenix suns uh soon uh, you know whether or not that's today tomorrow who knows but I, I think that that will be a very very interesting scenario because as Woj said within his report there doesn't I mean like look at least Baxter didn't really uncover a paper trail like with the Donald Sterling thing there was a like a recording of him receipts right yeah. Uh, in the case of the Hawks ownership group, there were emails, right? So I don't know where this lands. I, I don't have a great feel for it, but like, don't be a racist and a misogynist if, you know, period, point blank. And especially if you're in a position of power, making people feel worthless. That's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at on this. Yeah. Basic fundamental values that sometimes we have to remind ourselves of, of basic said fundamental values. So again, I, I hope that. With the investigative stuff, it's not necessarily looking for a, a smoking gun, and there there is some belief in the people who are coming forward and trust that it hopefully doesn't happen again in other places or people think twice about doing that type of stuff because there's real consequences, not just professionally, but, but also personally. Like These are impacting people's lives, people's families once they leave the office too, and, and that's not good for anybody. Yeah, and just real quick the wildest anecdote within this thing to me is robert fucking sarver going in and starting to berate corliss williamson uh about the way that deandre ayton was playing like corliss williamson will end him if like he really wanted to was big nasty i don't think i'm challenging big nasty to uh deandre ayton what was it he didn't have a foul and a block in his time there, like I don't think I would. I'd go at Crows Williamson. 
Yeah. Penny, you are you're six foot eight and you're not going <laughs> Corliss Williamson. No. Yeah, like, business decision, not uh, I'm staying away. Yeah, P- Penny, you, you have experienced breaking up fights at AAU events. And Unfortunately, I- m- many many a fight, and, and I'll say this without naming names: I've broken up fights with six, eight baby big nasties. And look, I'll, I'll throw myself into anything if I get my butt kicked. Like that's fine. That's that's part of the game. I'm, I'm just trying to break stuff up. A six eight guy, I tried to bear hug, and, and he threw me off like a rag doll. I assume Corliss Williamson would do something very very similar. So not a. Not a fight I want to pick. I, I Part of my job is ending those fights. Uh, yeah, and I also remember Corliss Williamson back in the, the UMass heydays in the 90s. So I, Corliss has done enough damage to me. I, I don't need to fight him either. Yeah, that's a uh, – that, that's – like imagine just how much like misplaced confidence you have to have to come <laughs> in and start like F-bombing Corliss Williamson about shit that you don't know about. Yeah, and start drawing up plays on the board. There was another one. He was talking to somebody, and Jamal Crawford walked out. He's like, "Nah, I'm not, nah, I'm not good. doing this. You're not yeah. doing this here." Like, what? What in the fuck are we doing here? Um, okay, we'll see where that goes. The other weird thing that happened this morning was Carl Towns apparently liked a tweet saying "free cat." This happened mm. while sleeping. Can you explain this? You explained this to me a little bit earlier. That I mean, that's the story. Someone posted something that said wait until he's out of minnesota hashtag free cat he liked it someone took a screenshot and retweeted that his likes on on twitter it said carl towns like this and then i saw a few hours later he tweeted i was hacked changed my password we're all good over here then like a locked emoji uh a little curious for somebody to hack your account and like one tweet and then log out but uh crazy things have happened in the internet age just seems a, a little out of place yeah, like th- this seems like one of those stories that's a total nothing burger to me. Uh, I-, I just can't like even I-, I can't bring myself to care about this. I guess, but but isn't like, isn't this like Internet One Hundred and One? Like you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, you can look. Just don't like the post. Like it always comes back to you. You want to scroll and go nod your head, tell your buddies, "Hey, this is messed up," but I agree with this. Fine, but like you're just getting yourself into trouble. What, like for it, what? <laughs> what? What's the benefit here? What's the what's the value play? What's the value play? No, of, seriously. Like like what? How could? Oh, he liked that tweet. You know what? We better uh, we better trade for the piece. He's he's pissed off. Like it's just gonna come back and bite. Yeah. No. I, I don't. I don't really get it. I, look. Like th- this is one of those things where I think that the media in general overreaches on when guys like tweets like look if marvin bagley's dad comes out and says <laughs> trade my son that's one thing right yes. uh if we have like a contextless liking of a tweet that could just be like nba players having enormous fucking fingers dealing with small technology like phones that happens, that happens. like <laughs> I have I the mean, world's biggest thumb, so I get it. There's sometimes I'm like, oh, didn't mean to do that. Just un- unclick it real quickly. This wasn't see? the Eric Bledsoe, I don't even want to be here or get me out of here tweet. It wasn't It wasn't that. <laughs> yeah, no. Th- this is one of those times where I wish that we would be a bit more responsible in the way that we frame coverage. Uh, I- no. I'm sorry that... It's a Tim content Rules. business. You have to do it, right? It's like it has to be covered. A Tim Rolls beat journalist or, or an NBA Twitter account, they're not going to let that one slide. You can't. 
Yeah, I'm I'm sorry that Timberwolves fans have to deal with this. Uh, look, they finally have excitement. Like I know that they're on a bit of a skid right now, but like they finally have excitement. They have Anthony Edwards. They have Carl Anthony Towns. D'Angelo Russell hasn't played well yet, but they have Jaden McDaniels, who I think looks great. They're finally defending for the first time in a while. Like let's let's ease up on this shit, right? <laughs> like let's just chill a little bit. Um, okay. We wanted to transition into actually I want before we transition to talking about sophomores, I want to get the feel of the lay of the land in Boston from mm, uh, okay. from our Boston correspondent Matthew Penny here. So they hold an emotional players only meeting with the Celtics. Uh, what do we think is going on with the Celtics right now, Penny? I don't have an answer, but whatever the meeting was, Jalen Brown came out and had an unbelievable two-way performance. So if there's any glimmer of hope, that was it. Because there was a players-only meeting, and then Woj reported that it wasn't like a great one. Like they came out and not all buddy-buddy. Luckily, they, they did play the Magic last night and had a resounding victory. The best way to get over a skid is to play the Orlando Magic. Oh, yeah. I was group texting my buddies this morning. Like, they played the Magic. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll move the schedule around for you next time so they play like a contender the night after they have a, a players-only meeting. Look, it's a it's a new coaching staff. They're still working out roles. You have Jalen Brown on one wing, Jason Tatum on the other, Marcus Smart's an alpha. Like, so, something's got to give it. At some point, they've lost a lot of close games. They've lost overtime games. It's boiling over. I just hope that it takes a little bit more time for for things to click but he shortened the bench it's a different rotation it's a different look it's it's not gonna be solved in in eight games yeah no it's it's gonna be interesting to see where boston goes they look like a total mess right now though like there's not really Uh, another way to put it uh they're getting like superhuman defensive performances from al horford every night jalen brown i think has like been hit or miss throughout the season but he finally the, the games where he's on he's been like monstrous like last night he was incredible in the oh, opener awesome. against the knicks he was incredible right um finding that level of consistency where he and jason tatum play well in the same game i think is kind of that next step right like i don't know how they go yeah. about it and like some of it's probably dumb luck on some level but like that that's their next step for me and and closing closing games i mean i was watching the the bulls game and i've told the story a few times offline here like i had the volume down and they were up 10 and then i was like messing around my phone watching the game on my computer and i looked up they're up 10 then they're down 10 with like four minutes to play i'm like i don't like how did this happen like this is something off the screen like oh no they're on a 34 to 8 run like like, what happened here like the bulls couldn't miss and lonzo looked great and making extra passes and i would assume literally did not miss but they have to be able to close games and defend and not come down and, and try to play hero ball every other possession, which happens at times too. If if Tatum has a shot, the next time if, if Jalen Brown touches it, he's likely to go. And then Marcus Smart was very vocal after the game and said, we're an easy scout, we're an easy stop. It's those two guys, they don't pass. And I said, ooh, buddy, something's going to happen. It was a players-only meeting. It was a win, so we'll, we'll try to stay positive over here. Yeah, I uh, I think they need a point guard. I think that's just where I'm at. Like, they need to go out and find, like, a real lead. Like, Peyton Pritchard, we're going to talk about him, obviously. He's a really good backup point guard, I think. Uh, Dennis Schroeder can make offensive plays, let's say. Like, let's let's put it that way. I'm, I'm not a big Schroeder fan. Uh, I don't know that I would want him on my team, necessarily, even at, like, the $6 million price tag the Celtics are paying. Um 
then they're playing like they started Marcus Smart with Brown and Tatum in the backcourt and Horford and Williams in the frontcourt last night against Orlando. And part of that could just be a reaction to like Orlando playing two bigs. Right. They've mixed yep. and matched different starting lineups like Grant Williams started the opener. Right. Dennis Schroeder started three games this year. So, you know, they're doing a lot of different things. I think they're trying to find it. But at the end of the day, like a lot of this comes down to I think they just need to find like a lead guard who can get everyone involved and get um, everyone kind of in the right spots offensively. Totally agree. I was hoping Josh Richardson would kind of be that guy a little bit, although not necessarily a, a natural point guard, bigger in size. He he hasn't been great. And then Peyton Pritchard's minutes, and we'll get to him, have been cut in half. Aaron Neesmith doesn't really play either. And then the Celtics did pick up options on all of those guys, and they're not playing. They're on the bench, and I forget who tweeted it, but they're getting close to, to luxury cap, luxury tax stuff too. So this is like kind of your team a little bit, unless you make a move like you're saying. A, a point guard would certainly help. I don't know what assets they want to be able to give up, but you're going to have to change the course here a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I, I thought Josh Richardson is good as like a seventh man for them. Uh, Grant Williams, I think, has actually been really good to start the year. Uh, he's been consistent. He's shooting well. He's finishing well inside. He uh, continues to play like good defense within his role. Uh, it's just that Grant Williams can only do so much, right? Exactly um, at his size. Yeah, and Al Horford's been really good. Like, you look at the individual performances on the team, outside of Marcus Smart, who's been kind of a nightmare to start the year, and then Dennis Schroeder has also been kind of a nightmare so far. Um, Like, Robert Williams, I think, has been pretty good. Uh, Jason Tatum has not shot efficiently, obviously, at this point. You know, he's 38 and 26 right now from field goal and from three. But that'll come at some point, right? They really just need Jason Tatum to be good offensively. They need a point guard. You know, to me, they need to go outside of the organization to find that guy. But like, they if they can get one of Marcus or Dennis to like figure some shit out, that would be good. But like, you know, I think Jalen has played well uh, over the course of the season so far. He's averaging twenty seven points and shooting fifty percent from the field. Right? Like, you can't really complain yeah. about what he's done. Uh, Al Horford is averaging over three blocks a game and has been Herculean on defense. Robert Williams has been really good on defense this year. Uh, Grant Williams has been a positive for them so far this year. So, like, you look up and down the roster and it's like a lot of these guys have actually performed okay and they just aren't winning games. And to me, that would be concerning and says to me we probably need to go outside of the organization to find a fix somewhere. It's a little bit of offensive efficiency, too, when when you watch games. And, and now we're going to talk about sophomores here in, in a bit. Yep. I watch a lot of NBA this year, a lot more than I have in the past two, three years, just to kind of brush up for this. A lot of Celtics actions, like a guy will come off a pin down or come off a curl and then kind of pull the ball out and it just – erases all the screening and shifting that you have so you're not attacking a shifting defense when tatum will come off the screen pull it out and and then we're kind of like one four again like what are we doing here yeah yeah no that's definitely right let's uh let's go to the news with the sophomore class here so Jalen Smith became the first lottery pick since 2012 to have his third year option declined I mean, look, like it's the Suns, and obviously they are in an interesting position where they have moved into contention a little bit earlier than what they thought probably when they drafted Jalen Smith in 2020. They made the finals last year. They had to pay Mikael Bridges. They are going to have to pay DeAndre Ayton or at least like keep some money Maybe. to <laughs> potentially pay him. 
this summer, yep. right? Uh, at the very least, like they're probably going to want to be able to you know, match $30 million a year when someone offers him the money, right? So I understand declining the Jalen Smith option. Also, me personally, I didn't have Jalen Smith rated as a first round guy that year. So, like, I understand that and I understand cutting costs after making a mistake. It is just staggering, though, that we are at the point now where this team has decided to cut Jalen Smith uh, after essentially a year of being there. Like, not even a year. I mean, he got drafted in November last year and it's November 5th and they're like, no, we're done. Thanks. Quick hook. I'm not mad at them for doing it I, I was super surprised by the pick and i think the last two years that was the most surprised i was by anybody like josh giddy shoots up draft boards goes high like whatever i didn't have jalen smith even in that like stratosphere of guys and and now it's i wasn't i have the same like lack of surprise now of his option not being picked up because even when they drafted him it's like okay is he gonna play the four is deandre eight in the four like what are we doing here are you drafted a backup when you have complimentary pieces like a Tyrese Halliburton who's still on the board and now you go back and, and look at Jalen's stuff from Maryland and he was billed as this shooting big and he shot four for 17 from three last year. I think he took like one this year, hasn't played a lot. My hesitancy with him specifically was always that lack of bend and uprightness and stiffness he played with. And he's yep. not like a, a, a bad rim protector, but all the things we're describing is not what I would see in a lottery pick when you have a a franchise level center that's staring in the eyes already in your arena wearing New Jersey. Yeah, like I thought it was a little bit weird when he made the all defense team in the Big Ten in twenty twenty, to be honest. Like I, I thought that was strange. Um this was a team that, if I remember correctly, did not rate super highly defensively in the Big Ten and like had two all defense guys in the Big Ten and him and Anthony Cowan. Like what does and then they had Daryl Morsell who was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, right? Uh, last yep. year. So I, yep. I would assume that that just didn't come out of nowhere, right? And I know for a fact it didn't because Daryl Morsell's always been a good defender. Like, why weren't they elite defensively in the conference, right? Like, if you have three all Big Ten defenders, and it's because, like, they just like Anthony Cowan small and Jalen Smith is not nearly as good defensively as what that accolade would tell you. Uh, he is just stiff at this point and that's, you know, he, he needs to work with trainers to kind of work through his bend and work through his flexibility uh, at a substantial level. Like it's not just a small thing that needs to be fixed. Uh, You know, he can shoot a little bit, but hasn't really done that yet uh, in the limited opportunities that he's had in the NBA. Uh, He's never really been much of a passer. It's just a very limited skill set. Like the idealized version of Jalen Smith is a four man who can, uh, eventually unlock some of the athletic explosiveness that he has whenever he's leaping and hopefully bring some of that laterally through significant training uh, in the off season, in my opinion, is when that's going to have to come. Uh, who continues to develop as a passer because he's just nowhere near the mark yet and never really has been. He was a one to two assist to turnover ratio guy at Maryland, for instance. Um, and then a guy who can knock down shots from distance and block shots from the weak side at the basket because he's not really a primary rim protector so i I get 
like to me like he was always a really interesting flyer but like he's an interesting flyer that you take at 35 right i was gonna say 25 yeah yeah like honestly if you took him at 25 i'd be like this is totally reasonable like like taking zeke naji at 22 or whatever like if if that was jalen smith there and he was playing for denver and you have him you know you draft him at 22 and you're thinking oh wait this guy would actually be a really good fit with Nikola Jokic because he covers up uh, from the weak side as a shot blocker some of Jokic's difficulties as a primary whenever he gets put in ball screens and has to drop in coverage right like there are some there are some roles where that works in my opinion right but I just don't know that this was it. And I hope the best for Jalen Smith. Like, I really hope that a team takes him on a two-way. Like, I think he's absolutely still worth – like, he's a much more interesting prospect to me still at this point than uh, Lucas Amanich is. Like, I would rather take uh, a chance on – take a chance on um, – Jalen Smith than Lucas Amanich, who is on a two-way with the Knicks right now. So I hope this summer someone signs him to a two-way and we see what he can do. Yeah, aside from all the, the stuff at the top we talk about with the Suns, it's not as glaring. I mean, look, it's a miss, okay? Like, it's a miss at least for their fit, at least for the development stuff. I, I still think he has some untapped things that you can pull out of him in time. But when you make the finals, it's kind of like a little bit forgotten. Like, ah, we got a couple superstars here. We're doing okay. If that was like this franchise building block for a 12-win team and you're already cutting them, people are going to start asking a lot more questions than probably it is now. Because it wasn't like a quiet story, but it wasn't like this blockbuster, like, oh, my God, they're releasing the their number one draft pick from a year ago. Like, with a great point, you said a year into the draft because we had such a funky draft cycle last season. Yeah, no, I, I think that their success definitely helps uh, with that, like this being forgotten about as a miss. But like, can you imagine Tyrese Halliburton in that scheme? Oh, I, I, look, I there, there's. Can a you lot imagine of guys. Devin Vassell with Mikael Bridges on the wing? Uh, no, I can't. In, in short, and I so much of this too is I don't want to say guesswork because we we watch a lot and we evaluate and we analyze, we over scrutinize, and sometimes you don't know necessarily what is going to come out of the court. Like for the current rookies. Didn't like Franz Wagner, great start. Had no idea he was going to shoot like this, play like this after preseason summer league. Say the same thing about Scotty Barnes. For Tyrese Halliburton, even his floor as like this great complimentary piece, I thought would fit seamlessly into Phoenix what yep. they did. I didn't know Tyrese Halliburton was going to be this good. So now it like stings even that much more because like he started to pan out to be that guy and then some that we expected him to potentially be. Yeah, no, like I think that. <sighs> it's just such a perfect fit like regardless of what they wanted to do like let's assume that we, they knew they were going to get chris paul right like halberton's kind of perfect with playing with chris paul he's perfect with playing with devin booker like even if he wasn't this idealized version of himself that he's turned into like it, it was always going to work uh can you imagine them having another wing defender like devin vassell right. like literally the next two guys that were taken in the draft like frankly like James Jones seems to have a bit of an MO in terms of taking guys who can shoot, 
right? Like he, he really likes guys who have potential to be plus positional shooters. Um, Mikhail Bridges hit like 45% from three, although I think that might have been Ryan McDonough, but he's since consolidated that decision uh, by giving Mikhail Bridges the extension in, in right. the case of James Jones, right? Um, in the next draft, they took Cam Johnson, who like that was the pure skill was shooting, right? The next mm-hmm. draft, they take Jalen Smith, you know, shooting upside as like a forward center that was the idea here uh the next year they essentially trade their draft pick for landry shamet right where shooting is the premium skill again so even if that was your that was your idea like to me take the take you know devin vassell take tyrese halliburton take aaron naismith maybe um you know as three of the next four guys that were selected uh yeah this is it was just a weird selection all around at the time and i think we've probably belabored the jalen smith point a little (laughs) bit more than we need to yeah we did okay uh no other third year player had their first round option declined but you know the player who went 31st overall tyrell terry the player who went 33rd overall daniel daniel aturu uh both of those guys have essentially been cut from their situations. Aturu was traded from the Clippers to Memphis uh, in the Eric Bledsoe deal and then cut by Memphis. And then Tyrell Terry was just cut by Dallas, who I believe is paying him like $1.5 million this year, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So uh, what are your thoughts on Tyrell Terry and Daniel Aturu uh, just kind of not, not being where they need to be as NBA players right now? Uh, I wasn't totally sold on Tyrell Terry. I was probably a little bit higher on Oturu. I, I still had Terry slated to go above him. I, I liked his shot making. I thought he was a little bit slight. Uh, I liked him potentially on the pick and roll stuff. It just needed tightening a lot of places. But my takeaway for him, and just as like this general statement, is life comes at you fast. And if you're not in the right developmental situation, and sometimes that's out of your control, if you have veterans in front of you and it doesn't work, and, and we're seeing it with, with Jalen Smith more than ever, they'll just send you on your way. And there's so much pomp and circumstance with draft night. The, the bigger thing is staying and, and getting that second contract. And for these guys, it's like getting their second or third years because it, it's a grind and the draft is awesome. And I'm glad we talk about it as frequently as we do. But then you got to get there and, and unpack and develop because NBA guys just don't have patience. Like we're talking about Celtics. You got to go get a point guard. We're talking about this team needs a backup center. And if you don't have it and they don't want to send you down to the G League, they're just going to move on because they also then have another draft a year later where they can load up on what they may think is the better version of you. Yeah, and in the case of Terry particularly, uh, this is a player that was always a bit of a project, if only because like physically he wasn't ready to play in the NBA, right? Uh, no. let, let's start there. He was 100 and I'll say he was like 160 pounds at Stanford and then bulked up pre-draft to like 171, 172, something like that, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then dealt with some personal concerns let's call them uh he left the team to deal with a personal issue last season uh it seems like the dallas front office wasn't necessarily in the most stable place let's say last season right given mm, yes. uh the donnie nelson situation given uh like apparently Bob Volgaris was running their draft room uh, in a role that Bob Volgaris, if you listen to the podcast he recorded with uh, Pablo Torre, wasn't expecting to run the draft that night. So <laughs> you better have some notes. Get going. 
Yeah. Um, so it, in the case of Tyrell Terry, I say all of this to say it seems like he was not in the best position to succeed from an organizational standpoint. Uh also, you know, I, I wish the best for Tyrell Terry at this point. Uh, again, this was a player that was, he was always going to take time. Like he was always going to take time to develop. And it's, it's a bummer to me that he's dealt with some personal issues, it seems like. And, um, you know, d- didn't really didn't really get this opportunity with the team, but the NBA moves fast. I think that goes to show why some of these projects often, for instance, rank lower on my draft board because I don't, you know, some teams just don't have the desire to put in the necessary effort that it takes to help a player reach the highest potential that they could at some point. And not always mock drafts and, and interests and articles, and, and we're guilty of it too. It, that doesn't always correlate into like NBA interest too. Like Tyrell Terry's a hot name, but I, I remember late him kind of like surging up draft boards as like maybe the sneaky late lottery guy. And I didn't really get that totally. I was fine yeah. with him as he was technically a second round pick, the first pick of the second round, right? Like I'm fine yeah. with that for a non guaranteed deal or, or two way, or I, I know some of his stuff was guaranteed money. But it's not buyer beware, but it's you still got to look at the whole picture of the prospect. And, yeah, I don't think the front office did him any favors just based on everything they had going on there. And he's still young. I mean, he, he one and done. I don't think he expected to be a one and done. So hopefully he finds a, a home where he can develop and maybe build himself back up in the G League like we've seen a lot of guys do in recent years. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, I don't really even think Tyrell Terry is on a basketball team. Uh, that I know of right now. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see where he catches on because uh, I would imagine he will catch on at some point, but maybe maybe not. We'll see. Um, maybe I'll do some reaching out on that, honestly. Um, yeah, Daniel Turu was always just kind of a big, and that was going to be a problem. Tyler Bay went 36th in that draft, also to Dallas, by the way. Um, has been since released uh you know it's just a weird it's hard when you're a project and it's hard when you have a long way to go and these teams move quickly uh nba teams move quickly it never ends let's uh before we dive into some of these sophomores let's take a quick commercial break we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So... When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, 
but it's also just a gold mine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay. Let's uh, let's jump in. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with LaMelo? Do you want to start with Pat Williams being out? Do you want to start with Anthony Edwards? Where, where do you want to go first? Uh, let's start with some... Let's just start at the top. Why don't we start with Anthony Edwards? Okay. So, Anthony Edwards has looked really good this year. Uh, he's, I think, simplified his shot mechanics in a pretty yes. real yep. way that is going to lead to long-term sustainability as a scorer. I he's talked a lot about defense early in his career and wanting to be great on defense. And I think that's a really good sign. His on ball defense, I think, has gotten much better. Uh, If you watch his off ball defense, he's still kind of a mess. Uh, A lot of the Franz Wagner uh, breakout game that happened against Minnesota was, for instance, like him digging down onto a driver that he didn't need to dig down onto and then leaving Franz Wagner for an open three, right? On a same right. side kick out even, let alone like a cross corner kick out, right? Uh, it, it's these, these are all growing things, though. Like everything I've seen from Anthony Edwards so far says that this this is the best case scenario for how the start of his career has gone, I think. We had we had those concerns with him at Georgia and then watch him through the grassroots ranks, just sort of defensive intensity. But on the positives for offense anyway, he's bumped his points up to nearly 24 a game, which is really because he's taking more shots too. He's taking five more shots per game than he was last year. His percentages are, are pretty similar. And then he's also very active on the glass, up to seven a game. And I agree with your point. I think offensively he's just playing with a little bit more thought and not trying to out-athletic guys every play. He's become this more effective finisher in the paint where now it's it's more of like one to two dribbles into a Euro step for a score than maybe like a drive middle and keeps his balance with a step back into a short jumper. Like he's not going as crazy as a pace as it used to be where eight steps and six mm. dribbles just became two or three. I yep. still have my concerns with some of the shot selection. So you want to reel him back in a little bit because when Minnesota runs that like high pick and roll, sometimes he comes off that and it's like a twenty seven foot fadeaway. Like that's not the the call I want. And despite the simplification of his game, 
for his shot, do we think it ever gets that much better? He's a 31% shooter from three this year after being about 33% last year. Just the release is high. It's a little stiff, can sometimes fling it. Is that ever going to come around to the point where that unlocks the driving angle so much more because you have to run him off the line? I'm really glad you brought up the pace because that's something I brought up in a recent clip that I posted on Twitter. Like he's slowed down a lot more over the last year. Um, He is a lot more methodical, but not while over dribbling while, which is, you know, a point that you also brought up. I think that was a really, really good point. He is able to do things just in fewer steps. Like, I think that was all really smart. This is stuff that we saw last year. Uh, he, over his final 36 games of his NBA rookie season, he averaged 23.8 points while shooting 45% from the field, 35% from three, and averaged 3.4 assists per game. So the usage has been there now for almost, you know, a half year's worth of games, let's say. And I feel pretty good about where he's at and where he's going in terms of growing into that role. Uh, The ability to limit his steps and limit the amount of uh, the amount of over over dribbling. Like I don't see him like as an over dribbler all that often anymore. That's really critical for him. He's taking more threes. That's really critical for him. He just needs to knock him down on some level. Like I love the way he's aggressively rebounding and pushing the break. Like I think that's a really, really good role for him. Uh, I think that his on ball defensive intensity has actually been pretty good. It's just off the ball. He has lost a lot. Everything I've seen from Anthony Edwards so far, like I said at the top, to me, this is the best possible case scenario for what could have gone right for Anthony Edwards. And if I was Minnesota, I'd be really fucking pumped about what we've seen so far because he's also saying all the right things. Yes, like he's, yes that's my next point, too. Yeah, like he he seems to be in like a really really good headspace in terms of where his career is going and wanting to be great. So I, yeah, I, I think this pick is a home run. Like Minnesota, like uh, would I have taken Lamelo? Yes. Would I still take Lamelo? Yes. But uh, Minnesota should be fucking ecstatic with what they have in Anthony Edwards right now. It, it seems like he feels like he has to be more of a leader, like calling out himself and his teammates and throwing in a few swears during his interviews, which is fine. He's he's a passionate kid. I I get it. And I don't know if he would necessarily do that in interviews a year ago. He'd, he'd make a joke and it would go viral and we'd see it retweeted a thousand times. But Honestly, the, he, the funniest NBA player right now. Oh, like, let's just one. call it what I it mean, is. I mean, trying, like, but, he, but he's number one. Yeah, he's, he's no, the best no, no, swimmer. No, no. He's the best football player. He's the best rapper. He has. Uh, he's not shy in terms of his confidence levels. But at well, least I, I now forget, it's, I forget now what game it was. I forget what game it was earlier in the year. He makes a three. like It was like his third straight shot in a row that he'd made. And he looks over to the opposing coach and says, you better call a timeout. And just starts like <laughs> miming timeout. Like, he's just and an incredible meanwhile, person. Meanwhile, you have an analytics guy behind the bench like, we want that. He shoots 30%. Let him keep going. Don't call a timeout. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> and then like the, uh, the game after the Bucks game where you know he like drove on – Chris Middleton twice to uh, close down that game and was like super impressive. Someone asked him about Giannis, like slowing down Giannis because Giannis dropped 40 in that game. He's like, you ain't going to slow down Giannis. Like just (laughs) the entire 40 second clip was 
immaculate and hysterical. Like we we need all of the Anthony Edwards content. Like I, I someone should follow Anthony Edwards around with a camera at all times and just like film his reactions to things and you would have like a million dollar concept for a TV show. No, it's a TV show. It's a reality show. If it's streaming, we're watching it. Yeah, no question. Um, okay, uh, do you want to go to Lamelo next? Because that's obviously the comparison point here. Those two are going to yeah, be uh, inexorably linked for the next, realistically, ten years. I would say uh, Lamelo is a very, very interesting player insofar as his great skills. I think have translated at a higher level this year even than what they were last year he's shooting the hell out of the ball right now like he's shooting Mm -hmm. 40 percent 7.2 three-point attempts per game he's shooting 94 percent from the line he's not getting to the line a ton um but he's being aggressive offensively while also being uh a high level distributor especially in transition and making some ridiculous passing reads like i think that there's still even more space for him to be an incredible distributor uh, I, I'm very interested in where LaMelo goes from here. To me, I, I would still take him, but I will say, like, his defense has not been very good this year. It's actually been pretty bad, I think. No, that, that's why, I like, Anthony Edwards on the ball is better, but off, they're, they're very rigid. They're very straight up. For LaMelo, he's always, for me, going to be the, the video game character where you press the wrong button and something good still happens so in high school it was like half court jump shots like oh it's supposed to be a pass and, and it goes in and, and now it's like this full court hail mary advance pass like a no huddle high school quarterback hiking the ball before it's been set and it, I, i'm coming along to the point of I, I had him number one you had him number one not trying to do a victory lap by any means but Maybe he just needs these like wild horses to run with him because he's a guy that thrives in chaos of, of the moment. Like he, he still finds a way, even the half court, to surprise his teammates when he comes out of pick and roll with how he places passes. Sometimes the guy hits him in the hand. He's like, I don't know how you saw that. Or he'll have a, he had like a no look, no look scoop underhand pass the other day. Well, I think it was the left hand for an assist. And I also don't want to undersell. He's added these like paced wrinkles to his game too to slow down, and then he'll put his defender in jail, and then he'll extend and go. And the for the jumper, I never thought that that double elbow jetted out non square kind of crazy funk flick thing would have him shooting forty percent from three on seven attempts for a game. I probably even undersold where he would be right now. Like we're talking year two at nineteen points, six rebounds, six assists. 42% from the field, 40 from three, 94 from the free throw line. He was never hailed as like this efficient shooter or, or passer or scorer all the time, but he's certainly getting there. I'd, I'd say it's ahead of schedule for where I projected. Yeah, the jumper is definitely ahead of schedule. He's always had great touch. Like you looked at him on floaters. You always looked at yes, floaters, uh, yeah. Yeah, the way that the ball came off of his hand, it always looked pretty clean whenever the offhand wasn't like completely interacting with the ball yeah. Right? Yeah, right yeah sabotaging frankly even like that's like, a really good like way this, to put this, it the still shots that you see of warm-ups it's still like a wild release point and and how much guide hand but i don't know maybe it's muscle memory at this point where he's just taking hundreds of thousands of jumpers and his body's just used to not being square and he is not also not shy to pull up from wherever at at any time 
And, and I think it's worth just noting why I would still take him over Anthony Edwards. I think he just impacts the game offensively a little bit more. Uh, he has that same scorers mentality. He does it uh, pretty darn close to just as efficiently as Edwards. Uh, you know, I think they're right around the same level of true shooting percentage, for instance. And he just drives offense at a more efficient level. Like the fact that Charlotte right now is what I think that they're like top five in offensive efficiency and he's the driving force behind that like Miles Bridges looks really good Gordon Hayward has continued to you know be you know one of the top 10 like small forwards in the NBA right uh Terry Rozier like isn't even really shooting yet and it, they're hard to guard but they're hard to guard in part because LaMelo really pushes the pace oh, and yeah. has like really an incredible sense of what an efficient shot is and how to move the ball uh, within the construct of that offense. So I, I would still take LaMelo because I think his impact on offensive basketball is still much higher than Anthony Edwards, even though Anthony just, Edwards is great in, in in and of himself. It's a speedy push them too. They're Charlotte Hornets are first in the league in possessions. They're fourth in the league in pace. So they're, they're playing like him. And although they're, they're draft guys, really haven't played and aren't in the rotation they're at least trying to aim to build around the pieces they have while also adding these complementary bits where it can add to Lamelo's bag and, and not take it away and not try to slow him down yep uh okay Let, let's hit james wiseman next just because this will be a quick conversation and it's obviously interesting on some level we haven't seen james wiseman yet this year he's still recovering from injury and it seems like they're enthusiastic about what they've seen from him in practice i am pumped to see james wiseman this team is awesome they are my i've mentioned it before but they're my favorite team to watch right now in the nba the golden state warriors if they can if james wiseman is the guy that they thought they were drafting uh, and he can even give them that for 20 to 25 minutes a night and average you know 12 points just because they have shooting around them around the center position now and uh draymond green is in a phenomenal place have, have you watched a lot of the warriors yet uh two games yeah how good does draymond green look right now like i am blown away i think they all look pretty damn good right now they do like they're, they're an incredible <laughs> basketball first, team. first in the league in defense they're uh third in the league in pace like they're they're playing and they're defending too yeah no i am a i'm an enormous fan of what i've seen from the warriors thus far uh if they can get anything from James Wiseman, uh, it's going to be interesting. I I've mentioned before, I think that they are like ripe to try to make a trade for like a spacing center, but like they might not need it if James Wiseman is as good as what they think he is at the very least. I I'm, I'm very interested to see what Wiseman looks like when he comes back. Because again, like the reports out of Golden State are positive. I will say that like generally the reports out of Golden State on things do tend to be positive though. Oh, it's it's sunny weather. What there's what's there to be negative about? I'm a little bit more well, they're, skeptical. They're light years ahead, baby. <laughs> That's true. A lot of startups. Um there's just instances already where I, I did think the Warriors could use a big and, and go to a bigger lineup. And if he's a, a rim-to-rim type of guy, that could help. But more times than not, and I'm, I'm not breaking any story here because it's what they've done, they've just gone small. I mean, even Kevon Looney is yeah. only playing 16 minutes a night. They're more likely to spread it out with 
Steph Curry and, and Jordan Poole, who had seven threes last night, and Andrew Wiggins, and even Damian Lee. So my hesitation is like, I don't think the scheme is going to change for James Wiseman. It's going to be, can he keep up once he gets back in shape? Because if they're third oh, in the totally, league yeah. pace, they're not going to slow down for him. And then another thing we're not talking about, throw in the mix, Clay Thompson is back in December or January. So there's only, hopefully, there's only so many minutes to go around. If you get peak Wiseman for just protecting the rim, trailing the play, setting ball screens, rolling, dunking. He has that in him. But as hot of a start as they have, I don't think they're going to mess up their magic formula right now either. Well, the, the thing that Wiseman needs to do is he needs to prove that he can take Kevon Looney's minutes. Like, that that's just the, that's the starting point, right? Like, he needs to start out by saying, okay, I can take one of Nemanja Bielitsa or Kevon Looney's minutes at the center position. That's not like, look, like I think Bielitsa has played really well. I think Kevon Looney's performed his role so far. He has. But that shouldn't be a high bar for James Wiseman, given his talent level and his inherent athleticism at the center position. If he can start by playing 15 to 20 minutes a night, I think that's a huge, huge win. Uh, for them at the end of the day now can he come in and play i don't know like you know even even 10 minutes a night to start like would that be disappointing it could be right i don't think so because again they're they've had a level of success where it was a little ironic last night that you pass on Lamella ball and he returns and goes and golden state won last night when they played head-to-head but sort of revisionist history it's like what would he like look like on this team that's fun and gun and he could make plays but that's not the world we live in and i I do think wiseman can earn some minutes but probably just a a different projection than what we thought on draft night and injuries have bit him and they bit him in high school a little bit in college and had to deal with all the off the court stuff so just hasn't played a lot of basketball in the last year and a half two years because of one reason or another well, and what I'll say is this, too. Like, James Wiseman's still 20 years old. Uh, you look at the way someone, for instance, like Jarrett Allen has developed. Uh, Jarrett Allen is averaging, like, 14 points a game this year and 11 rebounds, and he looks really good offensively. He's shooting 70% from the field for Cleveland in what is essentially a pretty limited role uh, there. Like, he's essentially just running and dunking, right, and being asked to guard a little bit better on the perimeter and try to defend the rim i'm still not an enormous fan of him defending the rim but he's big and provides a presence there at the very least these guys get better from the time that they're 20 to 23 years old like even like bigs like this they get better yeah um so yeah i'm not real i'm not real worried about james wiseman i I think that his ceiling is still really high as like a starting center it's just going to take some years to figure out uh figure out what the ceiling is i think really yeah, it's just it, does Golden State have that patience when they're they're win now? They're all getting a little bit older. They're they're hot, and how does he factor into it? Okay, let's go to Pat Williams. Pat Williams was in a weird situation, I would say, in terms of his role in Chicago. Chicago is now a good team, in my opinion. Uh, he has a dislocated wrist. He might miss the rest of the regular season. It's going to be close basically in terms of will he miss the rest of the regular season or won't he uh wasn't getting a ton of shots was being asked to play more of like a high level defensive role for 25 minutes a night uh you know taking on bigger wing defensive assignments uh you know 
cutting and you know hopefully taking you know three or two per game and making those just playing more limited around so many creators on the perimeter plus Nikola Vucevic inside who hasn't really gotten it together yet offensively or defensively if we're being honest for Chicago <laughs> but uh it's it's now a very intriguing scenario when Pat Williams gets back because he is very young. He just turned 20 years old. This is kind of an ideal scenario, in my opinion, because he can work slowly toward improving his shot creation skills that we kind of thought he might have coming out of Florida State while being able to embrace some of the more developed skills, such as his defensive reactivity uh, coming out of Florida State. And it's hard to be like a defensive stopper at 20 years old, obviously. But I think that the injury hurts him and it sucks. But I think the overall team structure helps bring him along more slowly, and that'll be a benefit to him long term. He's taken the injury pretty hard. I read in the Chicago Sun-Times that DeMar DeRozan bought him the book, The Undefeated Mind, to help his mindset during the rehab process because he says it stinks. You know, you're out for the year. You just started getting going. And I was rooting for the breakout season after some big statistical games of the summer league and kind of along the lines of what you're talking about. He was doing a little bit more off the ball, on the ball, I'm sorry, in self-creation, had a couple of big scoring nights, said maybe this is something. But then with the offseason moves and kind of the roster shakeup, I got the hunch that his offensive development might not match what I projected when you have Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Tamar DeRozan, Zach Levine. There's just a lot of guards' wings that are going to get playing time. And he, he was already starting off on, lack of a better term, the wrong foot because he had a bad left ankle sprain that sidelined him a couple weeks, and then he sort of like rushed back into it. So I never thought even this season – he was 100%. He was playing about 20 to 25 minutes a night, but never took more than seven field goal attempts. So, yes, it stinks if we're shining some positivity on this. Maybe this helps his developmental stuff. I'm sure it's frustrating that you're watching your team have success and you want to be a part of said success. But at 20 years old, you don't have to rush it. And I'd prefer, yeah, get get this kid healthy who really liked and really had some bright spots and could be a, a star down the line. Just going to take some time. Okay, uh, let's go to, I would say, the Detroit guys next, because that, that group of players uh, is probably the most interesting group, right? Like Tigers Halliburton, Desmond Bain, we'll get to them in a minute, but there are just three Detroit guys that are having uh, very, very interesting starts to their careers. Uh, you mentioned Sadiq Bey before we started recording, and I, I think you're dead on right to bring him up, you know. He's not really shooting well from the three-point line, but he's still found a way to be effective thus far yeah. in his NBA career. Uh, and look, he did like shoot well last year from three. Let's not get that twisted. He shot 38%. He's not shooting well to start this season at 28%. Uh, but like you said, he's finding a way to be effective by being a high-level passer, by being able to handle the ball a little bit more, um, by being a really, really good cutter. Like yeah. I, I'm... Very interested to see where Sadiq Bey, uh, what his role ends up being, because he's still taking a lot of threes, uh, and I think he's going to revert as a shooter at some point, but they aren't falling yet, and I, you know, the, the whole Detroit situation is just very strange and weird to me. 16 points and 8 rebounds a night, and he, he's developed his, his game beyond of kind of what we thought, and I do give him his props for when now he's run off the line and, and he's able to score and facilitate 
and contribute. Yep. And he's unbothered making those plays and pulling up in the lane. And it's just kind of strange that he's kind of evolved into this like downhill driving wing where he sizes up his man, he spins, uses his length to extend. Uh, hasn't lost his footwork or body control with his bulk, just a little bit more muscle than he had. And it is a, a more well-rounded NBA game than a year ago, uh, despite all the rookie shooting records that he broke. And he's gotten better with the skill development of Villanova and better with development he's had the Pistons. He shot 42% at Nova over two years and is 45% a sophomore year. So just a little taken aback that now he's this 31% shooter, very small sample. I mean, we've only played, what, eight games here. He's going to need that. I mean, the Pistons are going to need that more than Sadiq specifically will just to spread the floor for the other drivers and slashers that they have. Yeah, this Pistons team, just in general, because I've watched a few of their games now this year. I watched one early in the season and then have watched both of the Cade games. There is just no space for anyone right now because they aren't making shots at all. Uh, They're they're, they're last. They're last in the league in shooting. 26.7% from three. I mean, they have one guy (laughs) shooting over 33%. It's Trey Lyle shooting 34%. This is not, and, and please mute this or, or turn it up, this is not the Kate Apologist section of the podcast, but it's hard to drive when nobody's hitting shots. And, and you made the point. They have shooters, but like they're just yeah. not falling right now. So I don't know if it's the new basketball that everybody's blaming it on, and I hope that this thing's straightened out because it, when, you have, when you're shooting that low of a percentage, even from the front court, it's, just, it's hard to do everything else you're trying to. Yeah, it's been a rough watch. <laughs> um, they really just do not make shots. Uh, Jeremy Grant is shooting 31 from three. Sadiq Bey, 28-6. Killian Hayes, 33. Kelly Olenek, who is like the epitome of a shooter, uh, 28% from three so far. Josh Jackson, 29%. Corey Joseph, 27%. Frank Jackson, who hit 40% last year, is at 17% from three. It is dark. Like. At some point, I would think that this will revert and they will make shots. <laughs> I hope so. And the offense will look better. I will say just like structurally, it feels like this offense is kind of a mess. Like I don't I don't know what the role allocation is. Like they take a lot of like off the dribble jumpers, it feels like to me. Like they get run off the line and part of it is that they don't have a particularly athletic team that like breaks guys down off the bounce. Cade can do it. But Cade is also two games into his career and is coming off of an ankle injury, right? Uh, It's going to be hard for him to play that role early in his career. Uh, Should we talk about the Killian Hayes thing? Because I'm like ready to be done. I'm like ready to be done with the Killian Hayes experiment at this point. Yeah. Look, the the rookie year was a disappointment, right? I I didn't think when he was drafted seventh overall that he'd be the third most productive rookie on his own team. And maybe that's a credit to Sadiq Bey and and Isaiah Stewart. And And to be honest, I think it is. I think it's more of a credit to them than like a hindrance toward him. Not a shot. But for his game, I, I just haven't really seen it like i i don't love the decision making uh he's cut his turnovers in half i'll, I'll give him credit for that but 28 percent shooter from three the last two years not the best finisher and you know he's going left i mean there's no right hand yep. involved and when they played brooklyn bruce brown just forced him into doing whatever he wanted and and he was stuck and now yeah. and now you, you have kate cunningham in this lead guard ecosystem and how does that fit because if i'm constructing a team 
I want the guard next to him to be a, a knockdown shooter or this crazy athlete that applies pressure to the defense. And for right now, I don't necessarily see that with Killian. Well, I think what I'm struggling with is I don't know why they're not just turning the offense over to Cade to get him these reps. Uh, I don't think that the Hayes-Cade fit is one that's going to work given this particular roster construction right right now. Because, you know, they're starting a wing next to them in Sadiq Bay that is also like kind of a non-athlete by NBA standards, right? Um, they're playing Kelly Olynyk at times with them. Isaiah Stewart, like not an incredible athlete by no. NBA standards by any stretch, right? Really, really good defender, really um, effective player overall, but like not an incredible athlete, right? So you're starting a lot of like lower level athletes with this group. And I think it's just hard to, to for them to like find ways to make things happen on the court but like you also need athletes who can shoot and like the problem with killian hayes is right now that like he can't really shoot he can't get by anyone because everyone knows he's going left uh i i just don't i I don't know what to do with killian hayes right now at least uh and, and if the way i would do it if i was dwayne casey i i would give Cade the ball i would start uh maybe like honestly frank jackson uh, next to him because Frank will defend and he will shoot the ball. Hopefully I know he's shooting 17% from three, but I think Frank can shoot um, and he will provide like backdoor cuts occasionally and will provide uh, that kind of off ball movement that I think they need. Um, and he can provide some point of attack defense as well that the team is getting somewhat from Killian Hayes. Although I don't love the way that he navigates screens Uh I would start Cade, give him the ball, and play like Frank Jackson next to him, and then start Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, and then whatever they want to do at center with Isaiah Stewart or Kelly Olynyk. And we we got to give it a little bit of time too, because the first game Cade played 18 minutes. He's on a minutes restriction, hasn't shot the ball well. Sometimes that happens coming off injury it's just how do you kind of do this going forward when everybody's up to full steam and and full speed here and i'm not worried about the kid stuff i know people are going bananas and i thought you had a a good tweet without kind of calling them out directly and saying yeah brendan ingram struggled like trey young struggled jamal murray struggled it's going to take 15 20 games you're going to have these freaks that come out of nowhere like scotty barnes or maybe he didn't come out of nowhere didn't think he'd be averaging 18 points per game he is he's been really good scotty barnes being a scorer like this came out of nowhere which is great for scotty and an incredible credit to him but it came out of nowhere so i man my puns are so bad i'm not even trying to have a pun here once Cade gets his legs under him a little bit more and can play and his shot's gonna fall everything else looks right he's he's still passing the ball just the floor needs to be more spread and uh, killian hayes could work there i don't know could work somewhere else i just don't necessarily like the pairing if if Cade's gonna be your franchise guy with with him next to him i think there's a world where the pairing could work but the world where that pairing works typically involves like athletes who can shoot next to them and those guys are hard to find and they certainly don't really exist on this roster outside of jeremy grant right now so and like you just can't start frank jackson with those guys i don't think because no. i don't love that idea so I don't know. This is a very strange... uh, It's a strange situation in Detroit right now, but uh, 
Isaiah Stewart looks very good defensively still, in my opinion. I know that they're, uh, you know, 21st in defensive efficiency and have been a total fucking nightmare offensively. <laughs> but, like, Isaiah Stewart looks like a potential long-term, like, you know, league average starting center, maybe, if he can reach that level. Uh, Sadiq Bey looks like a starting wing. I have no idea what to do with Killian Hayes, but we will see. And then they have Saban Lee, too, who looks like maybe he can be a backup point guard at some point. Yeah, Saban was good. Hasn't gotten as much burn this year. With Isaiah Stewart, yeah. too. He His motor runs. He plays really hard. It's taking him time to get back to 100%, too, because he had an injury in the preseason. So he's looked a little bit clunkier also and, and just been more of like this drop coverage pick and roll guy. Uh, but he does make it hard for opposing bigs. He bodies up early. A little bit undersized, as you alluded to, but does have quick hands, does have a plus wingspan. He works. I mean, he's going to be a, a starting-ish type center. We don't have to go too crazy into draft position. Pistons love them. Maybe a little bit high for a starting center, averaging 8-6. and six. Uh, But, again, that's why uh, they build the teams and not us. Okay. Uh, Desmond Bain. Let's go Desmond Bain next. No. Just an absolute king. I can't. Desmond Bain. My, do, you, do you know what my friends told me? I can't talk about Desmond Bain anymore. Why? I've been cut off at the bar of Desmond Bain. Why? Because who drafted Desmond Bain? The Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics drafted Desmond Bain. I said, man, it would be great to have a, a 43% shooter. And I legit had friends tell me yesterday, you have to let it go. Like, you can't talk about Desmond Bain anymore. I said, okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> Desmond Bain is so good. Yeah, He's, and we traded him for two second-rounders and a, I don't know, a grab bag of, of salary flexibility. But it's the way that he shoots the ball at, at 43%. It's just such little movement. It's just like a slight bend. It's a high release. It's a flick of the wrist. And now yep. it's like even the pump fake, they try to run him off the line. I just... I posted a quick little video when they played the Lakers. Just a shot fake, one sidestep, and here's another three. It's it's effortless in that he doesn't waste energy. And there's different types of three-point shooters where guys like Kyle Korver and, and Duncan Robinson and, and Corey Kispert in his minutes, they're more like the movement guys. So like beat you up running all day off screens and this and that. Desmond Bain can just kind of like trail the break and spot in the corner and, and wait for a drive and kick from one of these emerging superstar guards. And knock it down and make you pay. And for a lot of NBA teams, that's what you need to do. And he's even pulled back in the summer league stuff. There's some games was like, all right, dude, like you're doing too much. Like don't try to be the, the Superman and, and creating everything. But he's just uh, he's good. I don't I I can't talk about. It. He's good. He's really good. No, but I think that like he is the realistically like absolute idealized version of what giving someone a lot of opportunity at summer league looks like right sure because it's very clear that he's expanded his game like he's doing a lot more shit off the bounce now he's still a great shooter but like he's become a secondary ball handler in a real way that i think is beneficial to the memphis grizzlies like they needed that secondary guy next to john morant he's taking on some of that and being very successful and he's responsible defensively like desmond bain is going to be an awesome extremely high level winning player who uh, like makes nine figures in his career like i have no doubt about that like he is awesome and he is going to help memphis win a ton of games over the course of his career yeah he was a a favorite of many on draft Twitter, and he's he's become like the actualized version of what it is. When you have Job ja Morant, too, it just puts so much pressure on the defense where you have to pick your poison when Job ja beats the first guy. It's 
am I going to rotate to help here? Or am I going to leave this guy naked in the corner to hit a three? Like that's that's just beautiful basketball. The, the way that they play too, and they they find him within the flow of stuff. It's it's not forced. Uh, yeah, shooter's size. They they translate. Okay, uh, Tyrese Halliburton now just pitched a perfect game last night. <laughs> like he did twenty points, seven assists, zero turnovers, four steals, two blocks. Like had like five or six rebounds. I mean, he was absolutely phenomenal. He just thinks through the game and processes it yes. at such an yep. exceptionally high level. This is another guy that, like, look, I think he's probably like an exceptionally high level role player long term, and a guy that makes nine figures and plays for a whole lot of winning teams. And by role player, I mean. On a team that makes like the conference finals or something like that, you probably don't want him as more than like your third best player, right? But man, right. is he good! Oh, he's like really he's good. Yeah. he's so good at filling that role across the board. Um, like if you're a, the third best player on a conference championship like contender, you're probably what like the seventy fifth best player in the NBA, seventy fifth best <laughs> basketball player sure. in the world. Like good, good rank. That's fucking incredible. Right, uh, maybe even like the 60th best basketball player in the world. That's incredible. I think that that's probably his long term upside. And I, I am, I, I am so high on Tyrese Halliburton in, in terms of the way that he is going to impact winning basketball on good teams by the time he's like 22 years old. He already does it at a high level, but like he's going to play for winners hopefully by the time he's like 22, 23 and I think Sacramento is still, you know, not quite there yet, although they've taken a small step forward this year. Um Tyrese Halliburton's just going to be such an effective player on a good team, I think. He's such a high-level complementary piece because we we talked about earlier about Phoenix and how he be able to work there. Like he's fine playing with Davion Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox because he can defend and he can switch and his body allows him to do that and despite being this complimentary piece he, he's really effective in, in creating his own and creating for others he's kind of formed this like buddy cop romance with Rashawn Holmes without a pick and roll and makes teams pay and when they overcommit you just kick out to Buddy Heald or dump it to Harrison Barnes in the dunker spot I like how he pushes it ahead, too, and up the sideline to initiate. Like, he's not one of these point guards who needs to have the ball in his hand and call an offense. He'll just work his way in where he is, whether it's on the weak side or not. And the processing thing is what pointed out to me, too. I just admire the way he, the speed of the way he does it and sees plays develop based on how the defense is reacting. And then my, I had a few criticisms, and he was great and already adjusted last night. And that's a, a testament to him to probably going back and watching stuff. He's just thinking a little bit on the catch when he's open from three, shooting 30% from there this season. He used to just like catch and let it fly. And I remember a year ago, he was kind of like subtweeting at people who said the jump shot wouldn't translate because it looked funky. And it was, you know, I don't think he missed for a month. And then just can he be okay with physical play? And that's continuing to fill out his body. I mean, Luka Doncic, when he's guarding him, he just kind of bodied him up and, and did what he want. And then when Halliburton came off of screens, He'd be bumped off his path, and if he drew a foul, he'd just at times be flailing and then throw those out the window based on the highlights uh, I watched last night, the video you posted, because he, he's added steps to, to what he's doing and where he's going. So, uh, yeah, Sacramento's a, an interesting team, and he, they're actually a, a pretty good watch with the, the pieces they have around him, too. There is literally no player in the NBA that he can't play with. Oh, yeah. Like, they're playing him with, that. like, 
two point guards at times and it works because he's like six foot five and knows where he needs to be defensively at all times he's not like an incredible plus defender but he's incredibly responsible and is exceptionally good off the ball defensively um you can play him with two bigs and like have him be the two guard. You can play him at the point and have him play with a bunch of wings, like who can be primary initiators. Like there's there, there's just no set of good players that Tyrese Halliburton can't play with, and it's yeah, it's a credit to him. Um, let's go to Cole Anthony because he's mm. having a very interesting year. Uh, great in terms of productivity: nineteen points, seven rebounds, five assists per game. This team is like completely unwatchable when he's off the court. <laughs> oh, I've watched about five um, games. Unfortunately, I've seen all but one so mm. far. Um, w- when he's off the court, like they're they're shooting a forty-one effective field goal percentage when he's off the court. They have a fifty-three assist rate versus a twenty-three percent turnover rate when he's off the court. Uh, when he is off the court, this team averages 80.5 points per 100 possessions. And I think that, like, some of the excitement about Cole Anthony, just like a little bit of it, is because they're such a trash fire whenever he leaves the court. And I don't think it really has anything to do. Or, or yeah, or on the court at times, too. They're not very good. They're, they're a bad basketball team. But. He has clearly taken a step forward. Uh, he's hitting 40% of his threes. I want to see where that settles. If he continues to be a 40% three-point shooter, he's probably going to be a borderline like starting point guard on a good team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if he's more of like a volume shooter who's in the midst of like a hot nine-game run right now, I, I will be interested to see where he settles. But so far, Cole Anthony has been very, very good. And is a big part of why Orlando is even like contending in some of these games. Yeah, I was going to say they're they're not winning a ton of them. They're two and seven, but they are contending. I was nervous about him coming into this year because last season wasn't great, and he had the greenest of lights just because Markel Fultz was hurt. They didn't have the depth to trade for RJ Hampton late. And then Summer League wasn't great either. And you looked at what they're kind of rolling out there in the backcourt, said that's probably also the starting backcourt with him and Jalen Suggs. And they sort of flip-flopped a little bit. With Cole, I sort of hold my breath with those high ball screens on the move when he just kind of comes up and pulls up deep from three, like heart attack jumpers a little bit. But then you look at the stats, he's a drastically better shooter on the move. He ranks per synergy the 29th percentile on catch and shoot. Bad. But the 93rd percentile and all jump shots off the dribble. Like, that's just like a crazy stat that, like, that there's so much room between those two that uh, doesn't seem believable unless you're watching the games. And he has handled ball pressure a little bit better, too. And he, he's made better reads out of pick and roll and attacks accordingly when a, a big kind of steps up on him. And rebounding, too. I mean, he's rebounding seven rebounds a game from yep. the guard spot. That's a lot at, at six foot two. He was bad last night when Jalen Brown switched on him. He was way better when Schroeder was on him. And Jalen Brown just came out with a purpose. So I don't want to judge it on one game. I also don't want to judge it on ten games, kind of what you're saying. But the question I have to you is, the Magic are what they are. They're, they're two and seven. What are kind of the developmental decisions they're going to make in the backcourt? Because as I watch... Cole and, and Jalen Suggs are too similar for me. They're both 6'2-ish, more scores than facilitating guards. 
and and they're just more kind of like volume shooters and table setters. Like, can you win in the long term with with two guys like that in the backcourt? If Cole Anthony is going to shoot forty percent, and <laughs> we're going to go back to reality at some point, he's not going to shoot 40, 42, 40, 83, I don't think. I, look, I, I'd be surprised, but I've you know I've, we've seen skill development before, right? And he's twenty one years old. Like if he's a forty percent three point shooter by the time he's twenty five, like that's not impossible to me. I don't think. Um, if and then like Jalen Suggs is obviously just like a rookie going through it right now, yeah. right? Um, I think yes, it can work as long as this version of Cole Anthony is real. Uh, if it's not, there are significant diminishing returns the more inefficient Cole gets, I think. Because we think Jalen Suggs can really defend, and he's been good defensively so far, and we think Jalen Suggs can really pass, and he's shown real passing flashes so far. Uh, I would like to see more of that backcourt before saying that they can't play together i think yeah well they're also at some point marco fultz is going to be back there rj hampton's just been okay there's been games he's looked all right games he was he's up and down oh, so he, I, I think he's been really bad to okay, be honest you can say like, let's just uh, <laughs> say what it was like yeah, yeah i don't think yeah. he's been very good so far he's he's, not, he's come on a little bit better the last couple games but like early in the season it was not very good yeah well then also they're fortunate to have the connective piece of franz wagner who's fine just cutting making left hand movement passes and, and hitting opening threes now and, and dunking on guys and making posters which didn't know he's going to do that either yeah um maybe at the end of this podcast we can do a rookie of the year ranking just for funsies <laughs> um but yeah no i think that uh everything i've seen so far from cole is positive i, I just want to see what it looks like whenever the shot isn't going in at a 40 percent clip to yep, like confirm that, I guess. Uh, we're, we're, what other rookies do we have here? Because I think that we've hit the big stories. I mean, you, you did want to talk a little bit about like Emmanuel Quickly and Peyton Pritchard, right? Yeah, just sort of like a, a grouping of Emmanuel Quickly's down to five points per game, not getting a ton of burn. Peyton Pritchard, same thing, is cut in half. Malachi Flynn is, is way down. Those guys, I don't want to call it a sophomore slump by any means, but just had bigger roles in their first year, and now they're sort of going through it where they had early success and now taking their lumps and not necessarily getting the, the playing time and opportunities that they did a year ago. Yeah, the quickly thing, they obviously just signed a couple of point guards, sure. and it's just I think the role is weird for him right now. He hasn't played incredibly well. like He's not shooting well. But I think that's just a weird role situation for him. Peyton Pritchard, uh, you know, like Peyton Pritchard is who he is, I think, like a good, solid backup point guard. I don't I really liked what I saw from Peyton Pritchard in summer league. I thought that he had a chance to really take a step forward. Uh, But I thought that like that step forward would be like, yeah, he's like the 40th best point guard in the NBA. Right. Yep. Um so far he hasn't made shots and he's obviously he's wearing a mask as well like what's up i don't really know what why he's wearing a mask do you know why i I, I don't know the mask update other than i'm just surprised he's out of the rotation they know the the summer league celtics lost on championship he had 93 points in a pro-am game the day before 
so I, yeah. I don't know if it's it's just giving him more time and because he he can shoot if he is able to and he's on the floor or just Ime Adoka wants to go a little bit bigger which I, I totally understand too just the bench is a little bit shorter in this this first run that he's going through uh Jaden McDaniels is also like going through it right now yeah. offensively 35 percent from the field 22 percent from three uh starting and making an impact defensively though like he he's a big part of why Minnesota is now like a top 10 defense or at least has been so far this year so I, I will hope that the offense kind of reverts right that, that's yeah, he, i guess he, what i'll he say has the offense at one point he was the the number one player in, in the country in, in high school and had his moments in college it's those guys though I, I i gotta applaud them for when they dig into their defense and he finds out that's what actually gonna keep me on the court and keep me in the nba it's it's not the offense yep. right now it's not pouting he's doing what he has to do to to get some playing time yeah and speaking of defense and like doing what he has to do to get playing time precious situa as well like yes, you know averaging eight one. points and nine rebounds a game and starting for toronto who's been one of the really fun exciting teams to watch in the nba this year uh they have a top six defense in the nba right now and he's played a really big role in just being switchable and athletic and always being a presence at the basket whenever uh someone drives like he's not blocking a ton of shots but he's just like around right um his <laughs> he, offense he's always is, around you never leave you never go home you're always around <laughs> His offense has not been very good so far. He's shooting 35% from the field and 18% from three. Uh, and frankly, like Ken Birch has probably outplayed him a little bit. But uh, Precious so far has like kind of just done what he has to do to stay in the rotation and like stay ahead of like Chris Boucher, for instance, in the rotation. Just has to be there, though. And he doesn't have to get tied into a – I don't know, like the the roster, the lineup that they roll out. Couldn't tell you who the four, five, one is. Everyone's six, eight, long <laughs> arms, just kind of run around. It's, okay, you play point guard, you play center. They move quickly. I mean, I just – for Precious – Well, they, they just have – they have a ton of dudes that just play fucking hard. Like, oh, yeah, play, play hard. Like they're fucking they miserable to play right now. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, believe me, I know. I've, I've, I've watched enough. And for P, it's just like – he has to have the game be that fast pace because the jumper is shaky and he's better off making those quick decisions on the break as opposed to you're in the half court with the shot clock winding down and that was the knock on him out of out of high school and a little bit out of college is that he wants to be a wing he wants to be kevin durant like yeah dude, just be just be a five just just don't complicate things for yourself you're playing you're getting rebounds you're starting don't get too excited just just play your role and you're gonna play for a long time based on the way that Toronto plays. I didn't think during that Kyle Lowry trade, which he's a part of, that, wow, they just got a starter and pressure to chew. I just thought, okay, here's a, here's another eighth, ninth guy. But the, a credit to Toronto, and, and people say this too, the development that they do with their wings and their bigs and making guys yeah. shooters and fit into their system they want to run, he, he's been really good. Just stay there. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, and just on Toronto in general, uh, Toronto fans were very upset that I accidentally missed the Toronto question that I had oh, scheduled I that. with Nikias yes. uh, yes. in the 21 Questions podcast. So I, I want to spend like a minute here talking about Toronto. <laughs> uh, they're fucking miserable to play against. Oh, like, <laughs> I was like, you can't put 60 it, seconds on the clock here and say, like, I hate Toronto and have tomatoes no, no, thrown no. at us virtually. And I mean that in the best possible way. This team looks absolutely goddamn miserable to play against. <laughs> they run their ass off. They play as hard as fucking hell. Like, 
Gary Trent hasn't even started making shots yet. Gary Trent's going to shoot 40% from three this year. Uh, OG Ananobi looks incredible. Like, he looks like legitimately. Oh, that that, that, you that know, Knicks game was ridiculous. Yeah. Like, most improved player of the year, probably this year. Like, Ananobi's leap as a shot creator has been absolutely incredible. And then just the motor guys, like Fred Van Vliet, Fred Van Vliet plays hard. OG Ananobi plays hard. Scotty Barnes plays unbelievably hard. Precious plays hard. Ken Birch plays hard. There's no like, there's no break there's in no terms out. of like, <laughs> yeah, like there's, 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 there's no, no down song moment. at the wedding where it's like, you know, what, I'm going to grab a drink now. Like you're just on the dance floor the whole game with, with the Raptors. You are. Yeah. Like they push tempo constantly. And then on top of it, like, Fred Van Vliet has been awesome this year. He's been so, so underrated and so good. Like, he's added a significant amount of mid-range prowess. Like, it used to be like, oh, yeah, he had to, like, get to the pull-up from behind the three-point line or else it was going to be a little bit tough. He's been really, really good at kind of getting into that mid-range area and knocking down jumpers now and, like, hitting that, like, little fadeaway, you know, you know, 15 to 20-footer, it feels like. They're really, really good. Like they're they're really fun to watch. They're a really good regular season team. Uh, we'll see if the offense holds up, like in the half court, because I, I'm just a little bit skeptical of that. But man, really fun team to watch, and just like if I was playing them, I, I would not ever want to play them uh, any night <laughs> of the year. Yeah, just yeah. like hard pass. Like every yeah, next. every You'll simulate team. That game. Like, can you, like, Brooklyn's going to have to play them four times this year. Yeah, it's just annoying, right? like, no, annoying in a good sense, the the way, how fast-paced they can be. And, like, the parts are, are all 6'9 with, with plus wingspans. And, yeah, they don't stop. They they keep coming at you. And they've been so much better post-Kyle Lowry than I, I envisioned, I thought. I, I put my hand up. I was wrong. I thought that they'd take a step back. And I know, again, it's only been nine games, but they're 6-3. and three, And that's certainly higher than I thought. Well, and, and the crazy thing is they haven't gotten Pascal Siakam back yet yeah, either. Right. And that right. that's going to come. Like, can you imagine, like, Brooklyn, like, and James Harden and Kevin Durant and those guys just coming in being like, fuck, we have to play this team. <laughs> just eye rolls. That is going to run all game. And, you know, they're going to try and run past Blake and run past LaMarcus and, you know, run past Paul Millsap if he comes out there like – Fuck! This is gonna suck. It's like it's, th- that's it's gonna that, be. It's that rookie energy that we talked about the last podcast. Like, there's a miss. Like, Scotty Barnes' arm is somewhere around the rim trying to to rebound it. Like, the offensive glass, yep. they look at that as as more shot opportunities and as weird like shot creation stuff in their head. As guys get older, you know, you, you downshift a little bit. You don't rebound as hard. You don't box out. Those guys are hitting you and then go get the ball. Yep. Totally. And they haven't played in like a super easy schedule yet either, by the way. Like they've played Washington twice and Washington's been pretty good so far. Um, like they played Dallas and Dallas is kind of a mess, but they played Chicago like, uh, you know, Indiana, I guess, is kind of a mess. And they've caught Indiana twice. Their schedule hasn't been incredible, but like they, they've they've not played like the easiest schedule in the world yet, but they've done well with what's been put in front of them and i'm impressed with what i've seen from toronto so yeah, far co-sign that okay um 
in terms of 2020 draft guys, like there's really only one more guy that I feel like I need to talk about. Uh, like I haven't watched enough of Philadelphia to dive really deep into Tyrese Maxey. I know he's playing like pretty well. Uh, I just like for me, it's like hard to watch Philadelphia because if I'm picking between one team or another, I'll probably watch them tonight when they play Detroit. But I I just like this team is going to look so different at some point this year. And I just don't know. Like if I'm trying to evaluate them, like I don't know what the point is, I guess. Well, my my quick. 20-second plug for, for Max anyways. His defense has been really good. He received plenty of praise last week when he was guarding Trey Young mm-hmm. and just made him take difficult shots. He was 5 for 16 from the field and used his physicality. And it, it wasn't just the stops either. He was getting steals and scoring or it's a miss to an advance pass and starting the break. So uh, that that part has, has stood out to me for him adding to his offensive arsenal. Yeah. Um, I mean, or we haven't talked about the number five pick yet, Isaac Coro. Like he's just kind of like a backup three man well, right he's been now. Hurt too. He hamstring injury. Missed some games with his hamstring injury. Yep. Yeah, but um, you know he's been good defensively and still not being guarded from three at all. And he's cutting and doing all of the off ball stuff. But the, the swing skill there is the jumper. And Yaka Kongwu's hurt. Obi Toppin is still like in a weird space where there's some weird role allocation difficulties but when he's been utilized as a five i think he's been really effective uh yeah i don't i don't know do we need to dive into anyone else outside of my dear sweet boy uh, no i'll get your dear sweet boy in 30 seconds with top and it's, it's hard to crack the rotation when fournier randall barrett mitchell robson are playing 30 minutes a night and there is a quicker hook and that it's sort of like you know, one end of the spectrum of drafting old, you have Chris Duarte, second leading scorer for all rookies. On the other end of the spectrum, we have Ovi Toppin. So Coach Tibbs is a much more win-now guy. He's not necessarily going to let you play through mistakes right now for the time being. And you hope that for Ovi anyway, he gets more minutes. And he's been positive all the interviews. He's, he's energetic, just wants to go out there and run and do what he has to win. But yeah, he's going to wake up in two years and be 25 and then it's like, ah, was that pick so high worthwhile? But that, that's something we can discuss as, as time continues to roll on here. Okay. Just give me some Poku takes before we Because I, I talk about Poku people, too well, much. Like, people please, people I don't, don't know that like, your Poku thing isn't like a bit, but it's also not like reality either. There's, there's somewhere in between. He He's just this mesmerizing guy to me where there's three times a game where it's like holy smokes. And it's a, it's a marvel to watch because he's seven – foot five and like running the pick and roll he makes wild decisions man he threw one into the third row cross court against the Warriors the other (laughs) night I was like I don't I don't know what he's doing but man sometimes he catches he rips through he readjusts his body at the rim and finishes and you say to yourself maybe like maybe this can be a thing and uh, again more credit where credit's due He's doing the same things in the NBA as was on those grainy YouTube pre-draft videos. We're all trying to evaluate, being like, why is this guy running pick and roll and thinking that he's Magic Johnson meets Porzingis? He sure as hell tries when he's out there. Uh, Defense, not really there at all. And I know a lot of OKC fans are are peeved because – Oh, he, he's in, like the worst defender in the NBA. Like, it's real bad. <laughs> well, if you're going all in on being bad or kind of being bad and Josh Giddey's pulling them out from, from being bad and Shea's pulling them out from being bad, if he's going to be a part of the franchise, I'd let him play more or, or bump him down and let him play more. Like, the, the guy needs reps badly. 
<laughs> just watching him defend is it's an experience man yeah that's like defense a loose term for for what old pope does out there yeah and like honestly like I, I am like a little bit concerned about the defense because it's the it's lateral stuff with him like he gets beat laterally off the bounce a lot and you would expect that he's seven feet tall guarding like threes a lot of the time right um i, I want to give you some numbers when he is on the court Oklahoma City has an 85.2 offensive rating. When he's okay. off the court, they have a 102.5 offensive rating. Oh, you're just one of these analytics nerds. Like, you don't know basketball. You're just reading the numbers. Yeah. And, like, look, like, he plays with the bench, you know. Like, it, it is what it is, right? But yeah. uh, I, I love this man. Uh, he's the most entertaining 14 minutes a night in basketball. Because <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. The most electrifying 14 minutes in basketball. You literally don't know what's coming next. No, nope, like none. Could be in the third row. Could, could be a dunk. Could be a turnover. Could get dunked on. Could dunk on somebody. The could break someone the, off the bounce. Like the could break like a good are, defender are, off the bounce. Like endless. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's the funniest experience in the NBA right now. I love it dearly. Um, I, I will, if he does flame out, I will never forget these dear sweet moments we've had together. But uh, I hope he doesn't. I hope that he starts to you know knock shots down first and foremost. Like he's shooting twenty seven percent from his uh, start to his NBA career from three. I would like to see that number come up. Like maybe, no, that course. might be like the number one thing that I feel like I need to see. Like I need to see him shoot better from three. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, look, that, that's part of development. He's got all the time in the world to work on his jumper in, uh, in season and the off season. That's something that he can do. And you don't need added weight or uh, lateral quickness to knock down jumpers. Okay. Um, Penny, have you watched any movies recently? Uh, kind, we out of here? kind of, not really. There's been a lot of basketball, and my hours are the inverse of yours. I started Ted Lasso. Uh, I started the morning show, and that's really about it. I mean, you had two series and, and NBA games on. That's that's really it. But my my TV, my movie question to you of the week was: We got a new trailer this week. Are we doing the Dexter reboot? No. Hard out. I, look, like I might get to it at some point, but it's you know, it's not a it's not a thing I need to see. The last the last couple seasons were kind of a mess. Well, I'm I'm stuck. I'm on season like four or five because when you go back and watch it, you know, when it first came out, like you can do what one maybe two serial killer shows in like a, a sitting, then it's like yeah. yeah, it's a little too much for me tonight. So when you do that for like five seasons, I, I gotta trudge through to get the new one. I have no idea how the series ended. But I, I did actually. I was watching an NBA game, and I went upstairs to go to bed, and I forgot to turn the TV off. So I ran downstairs, and the preview was on. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, maybe I'll check that out. Yeah, uh, I can't, I can't do it with Dexter. I, I don't think I'm going to do it. Um, I did really enjoy the first four seasons. Like, I think the first four seasons are really good. Yeah. But, um. Finally got back to go to the movie theaters, which yes, is like the yes. best thing in the world for me. I went to see Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which was a very enjoyable experience. If you are a fan of Marvel movies, I'm going to, I think, do Eternals tonight, which is Chloe Zhao's new Marvel movie. Yep. Uh, I am very excited about that. Still have not done The Last Duel. I need to need to go see The wow. Last Duel and see well, your best friends. <laughs> my my neighbors. So when you did the movies, 
did you do the full movie thing? Like, did you get the fountain drink? Did you get the popcorn? Or you just kind of say, like, I'm going to sit here and be compliant and keep my mask on and watch the movie and just get in and get out? Well, no, I mean, well, like, I'm in the process of trying to lose weight at the moment. And uh, <laughs> so have, that, that was a cut. have gotten myself down 22 pounds in the last two months. <laughs> okay. And it's been a very positive experience, and I was worried that popcorn would uh, set that back substantially. So I All decided right. to not go that route. Okay. As long as you didn't bring in, like, your own granola or something, like a like a weirdo. I will occasionally bring in, like, my own chocolate, right? But I'm like, okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. The, the worst was... And look, malls and stuff have all changed a million times over now. But like going to the mall and the movie theater that was connected to the food court, and somebody would like sit down right in front of you and open up like a plate of Chinese food. It's like, dude, what are we doing here? Like we're in a movie theater. I can smell like junior mints. Like I don't need you eating your chicken and rice dish in front of me for the next two hours. Yeah. Someone one time when I was seeing a movie brought in like some sort of like fish oh, thing God. from the food that court is so bad yeah it was tough it was in um i think that it was i'm trying to remember what theater it was uh i think it was the amc sunset on uh on sunset boulevard in la wow. which is like kind of a art housey the like amc theater uh, like they do all of the Oscar releases, like some international stuff. And then like they do the bigger releases as well. But yeah, someone had brought in like some sort of Chinese like fish. fish. It's it so was, aggressive. Uh, People have no boundaries. <laughs> well, you said it was art house. So I was like, what is it? A spicy tuna roll or something? It's the same thing with planes too. <laughs> and planes have changed with masks too. But when people bring like some big sub from the plane, like you can smell the guy in 7C that's eating a meatball sub. It's like, dude, you know, I'm trying to survive on this tiny pack of cheese that's here. Like, can you put that away? God, the last plane that I took was the plane to get over here to Australia. And it was like the best plane experience of my life for a 16 hour flight because it was literally like a there you had to be able to fit 400 people on this flight it's like one of the jumbo flights right and there were only 30 people on the flight oh that's incredible it was like you're spread out like you didn't have to worry about shit like it it was such a good experience Uh, i am i'm looking forward to getting back on flights because like i'd love to come back over to america at some point but I am not looking forward to uh, to the experience that I will have on flights when people get a little too, little too familiar. Yes, everyone's a little too familiar, a little too familiar. You're spoiled now, too. When you have that experience, it's like it's hard. Or, or to sit in first class once in a while, like, yeah, you're back in coach. It's like, ah, yeah, it's not, it gets a job done, but it's uh, not quite the same. Yeah, not super hot. Uh, okay, Penny, do you have anything else that we need to get into before we leave? No, that's that's it. I, I think we covered the the sophomores here. Ran a little bit long on a couple guys, but uh, yeah, it's been ten games. It's stuff's going to continue to happen, and at least for these guys, it's ten games plus a full season. Give the rookies some patience. Don't go crazy. If they're really good or really bad. Water always yep. finds its level. I think that our plan for next week is we're going to go right after Champions Classic. We kind of decided that, right? Yep. Yep, we're we're uh, burning. I'm burning the midnight oil. I'm gonna stay up and I'll um, create my own little studio in, in the living room and hope I don't wake up my family upstairs. And for you, I think it's like noon time, so we'll uh, we'll have a little yeah. party here. Be nice. 
Yeah, I, th- I think the plan is that we'll do like 45 minutes on Champions Classic and opening night of college basketball. Um, I might try and do a preview podcast on college basketball over the weekend, like for Monday. Uh, and then you'll have the Penny podcast on Tuesday night going into Wednesday. And then I'll do an NBA podcast later in the week as well with someone. Uh, I really appreciate everyone who's reached out on the uh, 21 questions format. I, I have not heard anyone complain outside of Raptors, Raptors. fans for me <laughs> missing a question, which like on me, obviously. Uh, but in terms of the actual structure of the podcast, I appreciate everyone reaching out and you know telling me that I should continue doing it. So maybe we'll do something like like that uh on the next show but i think that's all we've got for this one uh i'll have a oh i'll have a big board out actually that's a that's an important one i will have uh my first top 100 prospect rankings for monday or tuesday i can't remember which day it's going to go live but we've kind of done it in conjunction with the start of the college basketball season That's officially all we've got now. So until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.